Welcome to How Did I Get Here? I am your host, Joseph Anthony Batesel. This podcast focuses on interviews from people who come from all walks of life, ages, and professions that share their stories on how they got from point A to Z as they chase their dreams, successes, and failures, and answer the elusive question in life that so many of us ask ourselves, how did I get here? Well, welcome to How Did I Get Here with my guest, Linda Bierman. Linda Bierman started off as a child actress in the performing arts in the U.S. and abroad. She studied acting with members of the National Theater of Great Britain, Actors Studio of New York City, also the Arena Stage in Washington. She's taken master classes with such classic actors as Vanessa Redgrave, Sir John Gilgood, Gregory Peck, Ben Kingsley, and Patrick Stewart. One of her highlights in her career was to work with the Oscar-winning famed actress Greer Garson. She received her BFA in acting. Eventually, she left acting and transitioned into theater management, which led to numerous productions, casting jobs in the film and TV industry, which included Jeopardy!, the Oprah Winfrey Show, and Will of Fortune. She was then hired by an outstanding commercial talent agency, Sutton, Barth, and Venari, where she was introduced to the exciting world of voiceover. She served as a casting director in charge of daily recordings and directing actors' auditions and negotiating actors' contracts. She had the opportunity to work with numerous celebrities she moved from there to creating her own talent agency with a business partner. The agency was named Talent Management Group and is still operating today. Linda decided after many years to leave the agency and her residence in Utah to move to Las Vegas, where she resides today. She is now working as a consultant, teaches private and group workshops and seminars in voice acting. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my pleasure to introduce Linda Bierman. Linda, how are you? <laughs> you covered it all, Joe. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And, and to answer your question, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. Well, Linda, I always start my program off with how we met each other. And I went back and looked at your notes, and it looks like we became acquainted in the early 90s. And I was a young actor looking for a talent agency. And I think at that time, you you and Vicky, who was your business partner, had not started Talent Management Group. Am I correct? Yes, that is correct. Right. And I walked in there and I was kind of a, I think, a young actor, like a deer in headlights. And you guys were so kind and took me into the agency. And I was trained by you and obviously Vicky was your was your partner and you decided to leave the agency that you were with and move and form your own agency called Talent Management Group and I moved with you guys right yes and and many of the actors that are still with Talent Management Group today moved to that agency and you were my mentor my teacher, and my 
introduction to voiceover. And I am so indebted to you for all of the training that you gave me, not only in my voiceover, but my acting training and all the opportunities that you and Vicki provided for me as a young actor. And I think there's so many that are listening to this program today that would also join in and thank you and Vicki for all the opportunities you have given us. But that's how we met. And then our relationship transitioned into a very good friendship. And then you served on my board of directors of my nonprofit organization, Salt Air Foundation, right? Yes. And you helped immensely with coming up with projects that were able to help so many people. And one of the people that we, that we helped was a young girl that had passed away from colon cancer in her, her late twenties. And uh, we held a benefit for her. And that was so generous for all my board of directors to join in and help, but it really helped that family immensely. And then from there, I guess we just became really good friends. And now I consider you as a good friend and a colleague. Does that sound pretty good as far as our relationship? Absolutely, Joe. That's exactly the way I see our relationship. Yes, we became good friends and and definitely colleagues. I love the fact that we can periodically connect and banter about various topics, but but mostly about the business and, 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 you know, how, what we're dealing with when we're each uh, involved in teaching a class and, and sharing, sharing ideas and sharing tips. And it's just wonderful. I love, I love connecting with you, Joe. It's wonderful. Let's get started with you being a child actress. You shared with me a little bit yesterday on the phone that you started acting at the age of seven. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. I was, uh, I was born in uh, Austria, and I was adopted from an orphanage in Austria at, a, at about age three and a half by two Americans who were at the time working for the U.S. government in Italy. This was during Cold War era. And so I was transported immediately from Austria to Italy. So I had a little bit of adjusting to do learning Italian and English simultaneously. But to cut to the chase, my parents would periodically, you know, volunteer to perform in what I would consider a community, you know, a community theater situation, which was on a military post. We didn't live on the military post, but anyway, they would take me to the theater and I'd hang out. And then after a while, the director of that theater said, you know what, we need to put Linda in some of the, you know, whenever there were crowd scenes or something like that, we need to put her on stage and, uh, and have her, that was it, Joe, I got on stage. I will never forget singing. There's no business like show business like that was a terrible rendition and I'm sorry to hurt your ears that moment on stage with the lights on as probably I'm going to say a seven-year-old 
I thought, oh my gosh, this is the most amazing. That was, you know, catching the bug like everybody talks about. So you were the Ethel Merman Shirley Temple of that area. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, I guess maybe. (laughs) (laughs) With that rendition. Well, it's really kind of interesting because what do you think of uh, the idea of being a child actress at that particular time? Did you even have any idea of the notoriety and people showering praises upon you? How did, how did that work out for you as a child actress? I was oblivious. Honestly, I was in my own little world and I don't even remember, you know, people, I don't even remember it. I just, I just remember the moments of being on stage really and, and the fulfillment and the thrill. Now, since then, you, you probably have worked with child actors. Is that correct? I have. Yeah. So how is that different, do you think, from when you were a child actress to today? Is it changed very much, do you think? Very much so. I was a child actress that did not become a star or even a household name. Mind you, it was community theater. I have worked with child actors who became popular, mostly in TV shows, and it was it was difficult. That's when I was working in Los Angeles and I was working as an agent in an agency. And so I, because even though it was a voiceover department, we had in one of the agencies I worked in, we had a children's department. And so I worked with uh, lots of kids for voiceover. And I've also experienced, uh, sadly, it's sad to say, actually, that many of the Actors that I didn't know as children, but as adults, really struggle with transitioning into adolescence or transitioning from adolescence into adulthood. And I'll give you an example. One gentleman that I represented was one of his voiceover agents in L.A., was very, very popular in a television show. At age 15, Joe, he was making hundreds of thousands of dollars. So by year end, he was probably making a half a million. What You know, a 15-year-old or 16-year-old making such tremendous amounts of money, having anything he wanted when he got his first car, it wasn't a Honda. It was, you know, some fancy, expensive vehicle. And then all of a sudden, his, uh, you know, he was no longer popular and he, the money wasn't coming in. He he wasn't getting the accolades. And, you know, it's a sad story because what do they do? If they don't have a firm, I'm going to say a, a firm parental guidance, a real grounding and really p- protection, it, it can Turned out to be not a pretty picture. He went through a lot of drug and alcohol abuse. And it took him, Joe, to probably turning maybe 55 when he turned his life around. From age, I'm going to say from age 19 to maybe age 50. It, those were very difficult years for this man. He Now, he was very good friends with the Cassidy boys. You know, David Cassidy, Sean Cassidy, 
and also with Miguel Ferrer. And it was very difficult for him to see David Cassidy be so successful and Sean be successful and a pop star. Right. And so it's just it's, I think, very difficult. So, Linda, what advice I have a lot of parents, obviously, listen to my podcast. What advice would you give to parents that have children that are very interested in the performing arts? I think that for parents, first of all, number one, parents need to educate themselves about the business. They absolutely need to know, as you and I know, this is a buyer beware industry. I have seen children taken advantage of. And so they really need to protect their child. So they need to be educated and they need to be involved. And yeah, we, we don't care for that, you know, the stage mother. I'm not talking about that kind of involvement where you're, you know, obnoxious or, you know, sort of mind your manners, but be educated, support your child, but please don't allow your child to go overseas. This happened when I was at we I was at TMG working at TMG, we had a young girl, 15 years old, model, an Italian, some Italian company wanted her to come over to Italy, Milan, and and shoot. And her mother let her go alone. Mm-hmm. I would never, ever allow my child to travel anywhere alone for any part of the industry. Well, appreciate that advice. Linda, you told me yesterday when we were speaking on the phone that you left acting for a, a, a really interesting situation that occurred when you were acting in a, a production of Mice and Men. Could you share that? Yes. I was in a local production of Mice and Men. That I played uh, Curly's wife. And every single performance, Lenny, the man playing Lenny, was an inexperienced actor. And but even more more so than inexperienced, he was very much unaware. And so every time the death scene happened, he would inadvertently hurt me. And I thought, I can't handle this anymore. I am getting beat up on the stage. And this, you know, for example, he would cover my mouth when he was attempting the attack. But instead of covering my mouth, he would cover my my nose and my mouth so I couldn't breathe. And so I, you know, end up biting his hand in desperation for oxygen. There were times where he was so unaware he would land on, you know, one of his his knees would land on on my foot. And, you know, I'm supposed to be dying or dead and I can't say a word and I want to scream. It hurts. (laughs) The turning point for me. What's interesting now is that you leave acting and you make another choice. And what happens now? I choose to go into theater management and even though I didn't know much about it, I was so very fortunate to to get to really I landed actually a really great job in a Lort a League of American Theaters called uh, the Santa Fe Festival Theater. And that was one of the most exciting, fun jobs I ever had as a, a company manager. 
in a theater. I loved it, loved it, loved it. I chose theater management because I wanted to, I wanted to work. I love the theater. I, I didn't want to leave the theater. And I, but I wanted to be focused on sort of more cerebral rather than be so emotionally vulnerable all the time, because, you know, that is acting. You pretty much have to strip, strip yourself. And that, that was fabulous. Unfortunately, it was short lived, but I got a tremendous amount of experience in that job. And then I, I went to Los Angeles. I'm getting ahead of you now. No, you're fine. I went to Los Angeles Knowing one person, literally one person, I was given a phone number, a name and a phone number. So I had one contact when I got to L.A. I spent a couple of weeks sort of playing around and having fun and not, you know, enjoying myself. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to get a job. I called that one number that I had. And the woman that answered the phone, when I connected with her, she said, can you come in this afternoon? And I said, absolutely. And that's how I started. That, that's how I got my first job in L.A. One name, one phone number. I mean, you talk about divine intervention. Right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing that I always tell people, and I think you agree with us, it's not the fact that you're at the right place at the right time, but that you're prepared to make that jump because you have prepared yourself and you've studied, and now you're ready to be able to walk into that position and do it well. And I think sometimes people think in the business, oh, if I'm at the right place at the right time, that I'm going to be discovered. Well, you better be prepared when you are discovered. Would you agree? I would agree. And I want to share something that this one person I knew, my one only person I knew in Los Angeles, who shared something with me, I will never forget a piece of advice that I took. And 100%. He said, Linda, you'll not have a problem working in Los Angeles. If you give 100%, better yet, if you give 110%, you will not have a problem working or finding a job in L.A. What does that mean? Because 100%, everybody goes, well, there's only 100%. How could you give 110? I think giving 110% is, is the individual who, you know, is not looking at their watch going, you know what, it's five o'clock. I think it's time for me to check out when there's a whole lot of work and a whole lot of bustle still going on. And guess what? If you look around, you know, it's not time to check out and you got to hang in there and be willing to, to give it your all. And, and, you know, and also the other thing, Joe too, is it's amazing how many people uh, work at fairly, are, are used to maybe working at a slow pace. Well, when you're working in LA, you don't work at a slow pace. It's a fast pace. You have to notch it up. You got to notch up the pace and you got to expect to work 12 hours. When you were working in LA, was this the agency that you were with Sutton, Barth and Venari? Prior to Sutton, Barth and Venari, I was working for King World Productions. Oh, okay. Um, 
and and they at the time they're the ones that brought the Oprah Winfrey show from Chicago to Los Angeles. They gave me the title of assistant production coordinator, but you know what? It was basically a glorified glorified grunt. But it didn't matter to me. I loved, you know, whatever they wanted, I will do it. Not a problem. I can make it happen. I mean, I will never forget my first job, first day. I had to drive up to Barbara Streisand's house on Palm Palm Drive. I didn't know my way around L.A. It was before GPS. And I'm freaking out because I know that my delivery has got to meet a certain deadline And so I'm frantically calling some friends or people I knew, hey, can you help me find Barbara Streisand's house? This is the address. I actually made it and, you know, everything worked out fine. But um, yeah, King World, I learned a lot about how business works from King World Productions. So tell us about Sutton Barth and is it pronounced Venari? Venari? No, Venari. Mm-hmm, Venari. Yeah, yeah that Sutton sounds- Barth and Venari, wonderful, wonderful agency. And they still make it today in the top five uh, in terms of voiceover uh, departments in Los Angeles. Uh, such a top drawer agency, Joe. I, I was so sheltered from any riffraff in L.A. We hear horror stories, right, about, you know, agencies that cheat talents, I know, and, and or scams galore, but not SBV. I mean, they're just, they play by the rules. And, and it was a time back then, it was a time where they actually had time to really train, train you their way. Um, there's not so much the time these days for that. But they also, it was a great, experience because they were also in a place in their evolution where they had time to develop new talent. And that's, that was my thrill was, you know, I enjoyed working with celebrities and I enjoyed working with what we call the working horses of the industry, but I loved working with new young talent and helping them progress in their skills. Because we had the opportunity to be in the booth and direct auditions as agents. And so, oh my gosh, that part I really, really miss. With the advent of technology, you probably don't do that as much. Is that correct? It doesn't happen. It barely happens at all. In fact, all the voiceover agencies in Los Angeles have pretty much removed their recording booths because they're not necessary any longer. So it's, it, the dynamics has really changed. You don't have that one-on-one with the actor like we used to. It was, it was terrific because we got to know the talent. Therefore we got to know the product we're selling And we also had more one-on-one with producers as well. You know, we would be the ones talking to the producers and extracting the information in terms of the direction they wanted to go on a particular spot. Did you pattern your agency pretty much like Sutton Barth and Venari? Is that what one of your goals were? Yes. I left after a very uh, unfortunate experience in Salt Lake City, I thought, okay, well, I guess I have to go back to L.A. I had 
reached out to several agencies and I got an, a couple of interviews. So I went back to Los Angeles and interviewed. I was accepted to head up a voiceover department. And this is my recollection is just after my interview. And, you know, I, I was very, very flattered to be offered this position. But I, I was standing on Wilshire Boulevard waiting for my husband to to drive to pick me up. And I stood on Wilshire Boulevard and thought, I, I just left this city a little over a, a year and a half ago. I can't move back here. I can't do it. So I went back to Utah. I politely declined the job. And then I, I asked Vicki if she would be interested in opening up a legitimate talent agency. And I said, I have the blueprint. You know, I, I, I know how, how it should roll. So, yeah, that, to answer your question, yes. Now, did you feel, you and Vicki, that you were taking a leap of faith? Because you, did, you didn't have a lot of actors, did you, at that time? No. Uh, we were taking a huge, huge risk. When we opened our doors, I remember it was tax day. April 15th, 1996 is, is when we opened our doors. And I think maybe we had six or eight people. <laughs> I, I think I was one of the six. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it's really kind of interesting because when you look at agencies, especially now and back then, there, there weren't a lot of agencies for professional actors, if I remember correctly, back in those days. No, there were a few. And the one um, striking thing to me was that there was absolutely no focus on voiceover in that area. And I saw that as that's territory we can pioneer. And and so that was my pretty much my focus was to build up because I I had done surveys with uh, producers in the Utah market. And so many of them said, Oh no, we go to LA to get our, our talent. I said, well, what if the talent was developed locally? Would you hire locally? Oh, sure. Sure. We'd hire locally if there was good talent. So that's all I needed to hear. First of all, how did you recruit actors and how did you develop that, that voice voiceover department, because like you said, a lot of us were very raw with uh, our, our talent, but how did you do that? I think most of the time, Joe, I found it easy to kind of train, develop while we were doing auditions in the booth. I found that, that very helpful. And then, of course, I did some workshops I would take I would sometimes take people aside privately and say, hey, can I give you like 20 minutes? Let's work on some stuff. Let's get your chops up a little bit. Let me let me give you some pointers, that sort of thing. As far as the talent, a lot of the talent word of mouth, they started coming to the agency. That That is amazing. And as you know, uh, TMG is still in uh, in, in business. And a lot of the actors that were with you originally are still with the organization, which is yes. a testimony to what what you and Vicky did establish 
Oh, and, yes. Uh, and, and let me add that Vicky's done, a, it seems like she has done a marvelous job at not only maintaining it, the agency, but growing it and nurturing it. And yeah, she's done a beautiful job because I was there the first 10 years and it's over 20 years old now. What makes a great talent agency besides talent? How does integrity, values and principles come into play? I think that an actor and an agent, the actor-agent relationship is so important. Yes, I expect honesty. I you know, that is my expectation that you're going to be honest, that you're going to communicate. I think it's probably more difficult now. However, I used to always tell whoever I was working with as an agent, please communicate with me and I'm going to communicate with you. I'm working for you. That's what I was taught in L.A. As an agent, I am working for you. But yes, integrity, honesty, having an understanding and a respect for each other. I thought it was interesting. There was a term that you guys use quite often said, we're like a family. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And even our sometimes the socials that we had, it was so interesting to have those socials. And and we got to see people that maybe we didn't work with, but were represented by the agency. And we just got along so well. The other thing that I thought was so important was there wasn't jealousy in that agency. No. And, and- I think that also bleeds over into what you just said, Joe, bleeds over into sort of a common thread, at least within the voiceover industry, because the voiceover industry, by and large, is a very giving, friendly, sharing industry. It's a nice industry for the most part. People are very nice and they're willing to help others in the industry. I belong to a a wonderful Utah audiobook narrators, and we see that so often in that organization. Give those guys a big shout out with Nancy Peterson, who's actually started the group and who was actually with you when you were at TMG. Is that right? Yes, yes. Back in the day, yes. And Nancy now is probably one, I would say, probably one of the one of the best female audiobook narrators probably in the country. Yes, she has done so well. I'm so proud of her and happy for her. And that's the other thing that I think is so important with somebody like yourself and Vicki. You would always support us and be our champion. You, you always wanted us to be successful and you promoted that within the realm of the entire agency that you wanted us to be successful. And when we didn't get an audition or so to speak, you gave us the inspiration. It's okay. Go to the next one. And I, I learned that early on. And I think it really helped all of us being very successful because most of the TMG actors or actresses are, are usually very successful that you have represented. Yeah, I think so too, Joe. And that is something we learn in, uh, we're told in school, you know, in our training, you got to let that audition go and on to the next one. Don't even think about it. I think you gave me some advice one time 
I, I had a disappointing audition and I came back and I think I was in the office and you said, Joe, you got to drive home to Brigham City because I, I live in Brigham City and I had to drive from Salt Lake. And you said, go ahead and beat yourself up for maybe five or 10 minutes in the car and then let it go by the time you get home. Do you remember that? I do. I do. <laughs> and something else I remember also saying, if not to you, I know I said it to other people, more no's you get, the closer you are to a yes. Mm. Just keep that in mind. That's really good. And you know, young performers have a tendency, not, I don't think in a purposeful way, but sometimes when they get no's, they want to give up in the industry. So what do you tell those young performers that are out there that kind of want to be just, the one thing I have noticed with even the people I coach sometimes, they want to become famous pretty fast. What do you, what, what kind of advice do you have for those people? Oh, and that's a real tough one because you're right. So many people think it just can happen overnight and are saying, you know, I've heard it for decades now, the over, typical overnight success is about 12 years. And you've just got to, I don't know, you've got to have the patience and you also have to have the stamina to hang in there. You know, I think one thing that I've heard recently, which is really important, and that is, yes, you can live, breathe, eat your art, but you must have a life outside of your art or your craft. It's so important to have a life outside because it's your friends and your family and your other hobbies or your other activities that are going to help support you through those tough times. I, I think we've seen that demonstrated sometimes with the celebrity actors and actresses who just burn out and say, I'm done. And they walk away from the industry when they're millionaires or multimillionaires. So mm -hmm. I think that goes on, you know, every, probably every level of performance. So that's really, that's really great advice. So Linda, what happens now is you, you decide that you don't want to live in Park City anymore with your wonderful husband, John. Let's give John a big <laughs> shout out. I've only met John one time. Can you believe that? And we've known each other 25 years. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so you decide to leave Park City and Utah and the agency. Why? Honestly, my parents had become ill. We're living back east. They needed they needed my attention. I'm an only child, so I have, I have no siblings to help out. And it was time. I was ready. I didn't want to be in snow country any longer. So I spent the, after I left TMG, I spent the next several years spending, I spent a lot of time with my family and I, I took care of my parents until they passed. I did some coaching, you know, intermittently during those years. And then I said to John, that's it. I'm done. Done with snow country. Let's go. And I wanted to be close to Los Angeles because I maintain relationships in Los Angeles. And John has family in L.A. So it makes sense to come to Las Vegas. Linda, you brought up something important that most of my guests talk about. And I find it probably one of the most fascinating topics with how did I get here? Everyone mentions how important their family is in their life. And you mentioned also that it's so important that no matter what, 
performing, I guess, area you go into, you have to be grounded. And I think family grounds us. What do you think? I absolutely agree. I really agree with that. And I and I think some really good friends or what you might call extended family also helps support and ground. I'm going to say one thing that um, a dear friend of mine who's a voiceover manager, she owns uh, Cope Management. It's been in business for, gosh, 30 some years. Very, very successful management company. And she said something very interesting. It was interesting and, and it struck a nerve with me. She's her advice to young and up and coming actors, voiceover talent is absolutely make sure you find someone that you connect with who will be your mentor, who will be there for you. She thinks that is so important. And I believe that to be true. Well, my friend, you are my mentor. <laughs> And, yeah. and I, I, and thank I can so thank much. you so much for for my success in my career. I, I want to read one of the testimonials from a person that I have met and just really admire. His name is Nick Omana. And you can talk about Nick after I read this. He says, I have had the pleasure of working with Linda for nearly 20 years. And the one thing that has always impressed me is the integrity that Linda brings to everything she does. Linda is a gifted negotiator, as astute director, and a no-nonsense business person, all wrapped up into one of the nicest people you could ever meet. <laughs> now, there's some, there's some parallels and paradoxes that are really kind of interesting. An astute director and a no-nonsense business person, all wrapped up into one of the nicest people. He couldn't have said it better. So tell me about Nick Omana. Oh, Nick, that's just a perfect description of Nick. <laughs> he is so talented. He is the salt of the earth. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body. And yet in those times where he needs to set his boundaries or he needs to make something very clear. He does not hold back. He is a tough cookie, but he is also one of the nicest people you could ever meet or work with. He's so giving. He's, and he's, he works seven days a week, Joe, doing voiceover. That guy is just gifted with a, when I first met him and just said hello, I went, oh my gosh, what a voice. He's amazing. And he's just the nicest guy, just like you said. I, I love Nick. I do, too. What do, how, how do you feel when you receive testimonials like that from people you work with, colleagues, uh, other performers? How, do, how does it make you feel on the inside? How do you react to that? Oh, boy. Uh, I read something like that, and I go, oh, I cringe a little bit, and I blush, and it's like, oh, no, no. Nah uncomfortable but then I have to go back to what my mom taught me she said you have to learn to be gracious and say thank you hmm. and let it be <laughs> oh I love that I love that you just have to learn to be gracious and let it be yeah that's a great song by the Beatles <laughs> <laughs> I love the Beatles all right so now we leave 
Park City, Utah, mm-hmm. and you make your way over to Las Vegas, Nevada, mm-hmm. the sin city capital <laughs> of the world. But you and John decide, I'm not a gambler or whatever. So you make residence there. And what do you do automatically when you get there? What happens? Mm, I had done my homework and research prior to moving to Las Vegas. Unfortunately, I had been given some false information as to uh, the landscape of the entertainment industry off the strip. Okay, so the strip is its own little world. Okay, it's yeah supposed to be the entertainment center of the world. Um, But outside of that, there's cultural groups, theaters and whatnot. And I thought there was more going on here than there is. So it's a little bit of a wasteland, sadly, but it's okay because now we have, you know, I find myself I'm working on the Internet, so it's okay. But it was a little bit of a disappointment. I loved that pre-COVID that I could just get in the car and four hours I'm in L.A. or get in on a plane in one hour I'm in L.A. So I don't know if I answered your question. You did. All right. So how did you get into the consultant as you're in now? Because you've already built your uh, consultant agency. You're back teaching privately. You teach in groups. You teach in webinars. We're going to talk about the one that's coming up with Nancy and I and and you as well here pretty soon. But how did you get involved in the consulting there in Las Vegas? Actually, you know what I did, Joe? I started that in Utah. And that just kind of came with me when I moved to, to, to Las Vegas. I don't, let's see, I really, I've only got maybe two clients in Las Vegas. So most of my clientele is in California, Idaho, and Utah at this point in time. And it's basically word of mouth. I, as you well know, I'm, I'm off the radar and I choose to be which is doesn't bode well for my business. But at this point, I really don't care. It's I just don't want to be out there on the radar. Now, independently, you you work with a, an agent or a group, an acting group. We Let's give them a little shout out now and, oh, yeah. and talk about that group just a little bit now. OK, wonderful. Julianne Lichty owns and operates Actors in Action Conservatory which is based in Salt Lake City. And I met Julianne when I was an agent at TMG. Uh, Her audition blew me away. She was with us for a brief time. And then I think she went back to New York or maybe Chicago. I'm not sure. She's a, a wonderful, wonderful actress. And so I reached out to Julianne a couple of years ago and I said, you know, I see that you've got this conservatory uh, set up. Are you doing any voiceover classes? And she said, no, but are you interested? I said, yeah, I would love to, to teach under your umbrella because I respect her as an actress. I know she's legit. And so that's how that relationship began. Now she's expanding and growing even more so. She's only been, her conservatory has only been around for about five years, I think. Marvelous actress, by the way, and and a great, a great organization that she has founded herself Mm -hmm. and has developed. And 
Let's talk for just a moment, Linda, about networking. I can't tell you how important networking has been to my career. And you just mentioned about Julianne that you met her and you represented her as a talent. But how important do you think networking is to our business of performing arts? Well, it's so important. It's it's beyond important. It is, oh my gosh, it's monumental when I think about it because our business is so based on relationships. That is how when we cultivate relationships, we're maybe cultivating, creating potential opportunities down the road without thinking about it. I like to look at networking the way I know some other coaches look at it as well. And that is marketing and networking, two different things. Marketing where you've, you know, you're reaching out to clients to connect with potential opportunities and clients, producers, whatever. Networking, I think networking is the type of uh, experience where you uh, maybe are, are speaking to an industry professional who is talking about a project and you realize I'm not right for that, but you know what? I know someone who is. And you say, I mean, you may be at a conference or in a social setting and you say, oh, wait a second. I think I know someone who would really, really fit your project. Do you mind if I reach out to that individual? Oh, absolutely. No one's going to say no. And it's almost like when you are the conduit, putting the pieces together or you're helping put pieces together, that is also considered networking. That producer, that client is not going to forget that you helped. I think if you look at yourself as, as, as the actor or the voice actor, that you are the solution. Also, I'm here to help solve your problem. Not your problem, but I'm here to help make your production work and launch, take off be great, whatever. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. Someone gave me some advice once and I thought it was really good. They said, Joe, never burn a bridge with anybody you work with. And I thought that was really uh, good advice. And then the other thing that people told me that were mentors were the fact of always be a good person on the set and not just be likable, but be thankful. And I remembered that so many times as a performer in, in both stage and, and film and, and voiceover, how many times I would tell my professional acting students that if they got a role or whatever, I said, make sure you thank everybody on that set when you wrap it up, because everybody is basically a team member that helped you achieve that success in that role you played. And they said, even the craftspeople, I said, especially the craftspeople, because they're the one that feeds you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I really did think that was so important. And I tried to take that into every project that I did. If, if I worked in a voiceover production, I thanked the producer, I thanked the director, the casting director. And I think that sometimes we forget that. And especially as we get a little bit higher up, we forget sometimes to thank people that make everything work, right? 
Because if there's not a lighting guy on the film set, then you're not lit. If there's not a sound guy, you're not heard. And and I learned that early on in my career on stage. And I think I transferred that to all, all of the performing arts that I've been involved. Yes, I think that's hugely important. And I also think that being grateful for any opportunity that comes your way, having gratitude and expressing that. You don't have to necessarily express this, express it out loud other than saying thank you. But the gratitude, fill your soul and heart with the gratitude that you're so grateful you got this opportunity. Even if it's a callback, you just made the short list, but you didn't you didn't get booked. Still be grateful for that. That is success. It is. It is success. So, Linda, let's talk about we're moving forward now. And we're getting ready to, you and I and Nancy Peterson, we're going to do some webinars and we're going to do it on audiobook narration. Now, tell us your your experience with audiobook narration. How did that come to fruition? My experience is talking to absolutely marvels such as yourself. <laughs> I... I am not as hands-on with audiobook narration, but you have taught me a lot in our conversations. I've also researched online, of course, to get to better understand. I've listened uh, to audiobooks narration. I find it fascinating, and I am so impressed with anybody that does, that wants to do audiobook narration, that is an audiobook narrator. It is so much work and kudos to you for for doing it. I am so impressed. So that's about as much as I've ventured into honestly into audiobook narration. I, I've got to give all, all my credit to Nancy Peterson. She has basically taught me everything I know about audiobook narration. And so I think all I did was disseminate that information to you. But Linda, let's talk about that webinar that we're going to have. How do we want to somehow recruit narrators that are out there that are voiceover narrators? Why do you think they would be interested in audiobook narration? Well, because the interest is explode well, has exploded nationally, internationally. It is it's one of the areas of voiceover that has just exploded. And I think, well, we're doing this on October 23rd. I think we're 10 to 2 p.m. Mountain Time at uh, actorsinactionconservatory.com. So people can click on the website. I We're going to offer... Nancy and you primarily are going to be offering the A to Z for those people that re- that really want to give it a try and want to step in, you know, tip either dip their toes into the water or take the dive. Or perhaps there's narrators that want to hear the experts, some other colleagues and experts for merely inspiration sake. There are just so many people, Joe, that want to narrate books. It's phenomenal. It's the one opportunity, I will just tell you this, it's the one opportunity to do multiple voices 
in front of a microphone and be able to just create in your own zone, in your own office or wherever it is, as you interpret a book. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, Linda's right. It's becoming so popular and almost worldwide now, internationally even, that that's what people are turning to are a lot of ebooks and e-readers. And so we, we hope that you will attend that. That's our little, what? That's our little promo for, for this uh, webinar coming up. Linda, we've got to wrap it up here as we're almost uh, out of time, but I can't thank you enough for all of your words of wisdom, your kindness, your generosity, and all of the hard work that you put in over the years. And for some reason, you're a little bit like the Energizer Bunny that's on the commercial. You just don't want to quit. What keeps you going? What keeps me going? Well, number one, I love research. And if it's a topic that I'm fascinated with, such as voiceover and all, I'm talking about all kinds of, all the genres of voiceover. I love research. I love learning, learning, learning more about how it's morphing and changing. It's changing faster than the speed of light. Uh, What was you know, maybe protocol or, or prevalent a year or two years ago, maybe not today. I love and I, lo- and I, I get excited about wanting to be on the cutting edge of, no- of the knowledge so that I can impart that to my students. And, and I just hope that I can help along, you know, along the way, you know, on, on their journey. I hope that I can help and and yeah, help them maybe not fall into so many pits, pit holes along the way. I don't know. I just love it. I, I get excited about it. I'm passionate about it. I love to see uh, uh, one of my kids, if you don't mind, you know, like 40 years old, you know, get a big gig or see people, you know, their dreams coming true. Uh, I'm uh, 72 years old, Linda, and I have lived my dream because of you and Vicki. I'll tell you that right now. Oh, Joe, you're so kind. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Now, here's the million-dollar question that everybody asks me because it goes along with the title of my podcast. Do you ever have to pinch yourself and go, how did I get here? Mm. Yeah, I don't know if I pinch myself, but yeah, I go, huh. Wow, it's been quite a ride. That's for sure. And the last thing I usually ask people is, what parting thought would you like to leave my listeners today? Oh, parting thought. Be bold. Be brave. Be fearless. Follow whatever sings to your soul. Thank you, Linda Beerman being on How Did I Get Here. Thank you so much, Joe. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.